Hello, traveler who seeks to extend the boundaries of the map of exquisite horror movie bliss because you have landed upon the loathsome thing shore, uh, which is us. That's us. We are the loathsobites that, uh, loathsobite Josh and loathsobite John here with you to discuss. David Bruckner's uh, newest entry into the hell-raising goodness that is uh, Hellraiser. John? <laughs> yes. Oh, hi. I'm doing well in my darkened shrine yeah. and waiting for the cage to... Well, we'll get there. It's... Uh, how are you... <laughs> <laughs> a, a demon needed a lozenge. Yeah. <laughs> How are you faring, dear traveler of the evil underworld? I'm doing great. I uh this we're recording this a week before the our listeners hear it, and so this movie has been out for all of two days, and I in those two days have watched it four times. <laughs> It is it is quite a bit of movie to get through, and uh, I'll be honest, I still have conflicting feelings about it, where there are times at which I think it's absolute garbage, and other times that I think it is brilliant. It's, it's very much a Hellraiser movie in that, although it's better than anything beyond two, and arguably better than two, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though I probably like two more, but the, the you trade the kind of fairy tale aspect of the first two films for this, you know, realism that you get here. But yeah, there's there's some there's some moments in this film, particularly the middle section that drags where, Ooh. you know, it's kind of like, mm, is all of this necessary or <laughs> this doesn't <laughs> Did really we need that. Yeah. But, you know, there are other things that we'll get to that, you know, that are redeeming. I mean, it's it's definitely a worthwhile watch. Oh, yes, yes. Do watch it before we spoil it. We are going to spoil it. Um, I We can go ahead and get into that now and then just get chomping away. Yeah, that sounds good. So um, I've got 500 words. I'm going to summarize the movie, and then John and I are going to like deep dive on the little bits that we really, really feel like need to be tortured out a little bit more. The nasty bits. Oh, so dirty pillows. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Um, we are introduced in Belgrade, Serbia, 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 uh, in Belgrade, Serbia, some lady named Serena gets the puzzle box from some dude. It's for her boss, Voigt. And then they immediately go back. They are now in Millionaire County, Massachusetts, where Voigt is hosting a sex party. A young, attractive man is lured into his puzzle room where he solves the box, gets hand-stabbed by this cool little blade that shoots out of the puzzle box. We haven't gotten that any before. It cuts him. Now he is marked. He gets uh, the chains that we all know and love from Hellraiser shoot out and pierce his skin and pull him apart. Uh, Meanwhile, Voight is, like, checking it out. The box has now moved into the configuration that we know and love called Leviathan. And he puts it on a pedestal and says that he would like a boon. That's right. 
<laughs> and uh, then we immediately move to two people fucking. Those people are Riley and Trevor. And uh, once they're done having a awkwardly ended sex scene, <laughs> they go out of the room and uh, just outside the room, which I don't know how they got in there. Like, I don't know how this happened. But anyway, they find out that Riley's brother, Matt, Matt's boyfriend, Colin, and their all together roommate, Nora, is just awkwardly right outside the room making tapas. And there's a whole you guys heard us fuck thing. Mm -hmm. It's so weird but it's all right we're moving past it riley and matt have some sort of relational tension that because of her uh addiction she has been clean from her addiction for six months but they're worried that this uh this trevor guy is no good for it there's also a bit of youthful fun having that kind of makes this feel a little bit more like a uh like a blumhouse production mm, yeah than what it what it is yeah Later, she's complaining to Trevor about how much of a stick up the ass her brother is. And Trevor's like, hey, but what if we did burglary? <laughs> so they go and they do burglary at a, a place that's, uh, it's a warehouse, you yeah. know, like a horror movie do. They kill a pig, get its blood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, inside the warehouse is a spaceship. It is mostly made out of uh, uh, blankets. Um, <laughs> and... They manage to break into a safe, and inside the safe is a box, and inside that box is a puzzle box, which uh, Trevor is not enthusiastic about, but Riley is fully taken with. So she brings it home, and he's like, I'm gonna, I guess, go take it to Antiques Roadshow later. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um she gets home apparently now she's drunk we did we saw her like take one swig from a flask but but now she is cannot take her shoes off wasted well now we know why she's an alcoholic <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so matt her brother gets mad at her they have a whole fight and he says that after she sleeps it off she has to leave the apartment that they all share together so she just goes ahead and storms out tonight Colin objects to this, but no one listens to Colin. People should really listen to Colin throughout this whole movie. Colin is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so she's going to go, I guess, sleep in her car or something, but she finds a little uh, pretty old lady thing full of pills. Mm -hmm. And she takes them, and then she goes and uh, hangs out on a merry-go-round while fiddling with the puzzle box. At this point, the blade pops out. It doesn't get her. And she's like, ah, weird. Then the Cenobites <laughs> appear to her and they're like, hey, that was for you. But uh, maybe you could get someone else to do it. Then she kind of like passes out. Her brother comes looking for her. Uh, she's now passed out from drugs. He accidentally cuts his hand on the puzzle box and then goes to the bathroom to clean his hand off while his sister is drug unconscious on a merry-go-round. While in the bathroom, he gets Cenobitten and never to be uh, yes. seen in the flesh, the exquisite flesh, ever again. Not alive, anyway. There's a whole thing with, like, the cops show up, the roommates are there, all of the stuff. Where's Matt? It's time to solve the mystery of Matt's disappearance. Um, Meanwhile, Riley and Trevor go to... He, Trevor's really on board, and so she's like, what do you know about this place that we burgled? Um, because that's obviously the path that needs to be taken on all this. Um, uh, so, sure. so Riley and Trevor go visit Serena, who is in hospice. Her lungs don't work. Um, 
They show her the uh, puzzle box, which is no longer in the cube that we are familiar with. It's now in something else. And she says this is not the first configuration. And while struggling for it and I guess magically solving the the next thing on the puzzle, her hand gets cut. They leave, and then Serena gets taken by Cenobites after they've left. It's one of the worst Cenobite interactions in the movie. She, they discover that Voight disappeared under mysterious circumstances, and Serena does a whole bunch of exposition on stuff that's not great. And then yeah. Riley goes to Voight's house, which is surrounded by what I like to call lament scaffolding. Whoa. Yes. Uh, she finds the control box that makes all the scaffolding move around, as well as the lament doors that open and shut, closing places in. She also finds his uh, book, some kind of Necronomicon, perhaps, uh, which explains the configurations, which go thusly. Lament, which means life. Lore, which means knowledge. Lalliterant. <laughs> which means love. <laughs> Liminal, which means sensation. Lazarus, which means could we not please resurrection. And finally, Leviathan, which means power. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, Cenobites have such alliterations to show us. <laughs> such poor, like, such poor language to show you. <laughs> yes. God. Okay, and so uh, she's at this house, and this is basically the halfway point of the movie. Everything else pretty much takes place in this house or just outside this house. Uh, Trevor, Colin, and Nora show up. Nora, who you will remember is the roommate and is the obvious here-to-die one. Yes, the extraneous member of the cast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm also here. I'm making tapas. <laughs> I'm a bag of blood. <laughs> yes, yeah. I wonder how I will die. Uh, she finds a door that leads into the walls of the house, which, you know, pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and she goes in there, and then the door locks behind her, and then all of a sudden someone is in there, we can't really tell who, but he has or whoever it is in the walls with her, has picked up the lament configuration, which currently has a blade poking out of it, and stabs it into her back. And then she manages to find her way out of the, the walls. With it in her back. <laughs> yeah, it's still in her back, and, like, Colin's like, ugh, and pulls it out, and they're like, no, it's a... And then, like, squirt, and yeah. <laughs> so they load up into what I guess is Trevor's weird delivery van. Yeah, his rape van. Yeah, horrible, horrible rape van. They load her up in the back by herself, and then the three of them get into the cabin and drive away trying to get her to a hospital. Have a huge argument. Yeah, yeah, they're all just, just bitching at each other about everything. So while that's going on, it turns out that the road doesn't work. Like... <laughs> It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, in, and then she is beginning to experience uh, a meeting with the Cenobites. They, uh, you know, the chains come out. She's like in an alternate dimension while also being in the back of the truck. And there's a really cool scene where the, the back of the truck stretches out. I fucking loved that. Yeah, where you can see the scenery shooting by in the windows, but the, 
the back of the truck turns into like an opening into the Cenobite world. That was really cool. Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was a practical effect. I need. I I, I think we're yeah. still too new, but I want like down the road they to be like, all right, this one was practical. No, this one was a cheap piece of shit. No, this one was practical. <laughs> I, I need that breakdown. Yeah. And so she gets she gets tortured. She does a pray. They're like, oh, pray. <laughs> and uh, she gets like tortured kind of into the si- a similar position as from the night house, mm-hmm. which I was like, OK, here we go. Then uh, she gets completely flayed in the Cenobite realm, which means that the back of the van turns into a mist of blood and they crash the van or something. And they're like, oh, what the fuck? Where did she go? Riley uh, runs away to a bridge and she's going to throw the puzzle box into the river. But then the priest appears to her and propositions her like, hey, if you get to the Leviathan configuration, you can resurrect your brother. You just got to feed these two assholes to it. And then at that point, it make, makes it cut her hand. So it was like, see, like time is running out because if you don't give other people, it's going to get you. And uh, there's this great quote in here that uh, she's like, well, when is it ever like what, you know, when is it going to be enough or something like that? And the priest replies, enough is a myth it's like oh yeah we really are hammering on addiction here (laughs) yeah good yeah that's 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 the hell priest or pin pinhead's main entrance i mean we've we've seen it before but uh in the movie but yeah this is you know beyond the halfway point makes the grand entrance but don't worry you'll see plenty of pinhead coming up oh (laughs) <laughs> Lots of pinhead, uh, but but to be fair, it's the priest. There, yeah, in yeah, no it's not way, a, it's is, not pinhead. Yeah, it's not pinhead. Um, so at this point, then they're chased by cenobites. It gets very confusing about how the whole cenobite thing works, but they get chased by cenobites. Uh, Riley stabs the chatterer with the box, who then steps back and, in a like pose of supplication, gets chained. And destroyed, and then the box moves on to the next configuration. So, so apparently, you can go to yeah. Meta Hell. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know what the next one is for him. I guess he's just done. He's just Hell's Hell, or he's done. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't super make sense, but it's actually okay. Yeah. So the box reconfigures, and um, they decide to go into the house, lock all of the Cenobites out. It's an okay plan. Mm-hmm. While inside. Uh, Voight comes to treasure. Uh, Trevor Voight has a I don't know what you would call it. It kind of looks like an accordion, like yeah, a, a fancy like a brass accordion sticking out of his ch- through his body, chest through spine, l- lament accordion with yeah with a rotating nerve which looks like red yarn, uh, wheel stretcher thing. I don't know. It was very awkward looking. It looked cool when it's dis- descending from the sky. It's like, ooh, that looks like a neat thing. But you, at, at that point, it's not like through someone's chest. <laughs> yeah. This one, like, I like Goran Vishnik, but he's a little weird in this movie. Then he again, is. you know, he 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 does have a uh, uh, nervous system grinder going throughout <laughs> him the whole time. 
He is in slight discomfort. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we find out that Trevor has uh, been in Voight's employ the whole time and that Riley is just a mark and that his job is to feed the box some blood so that Voight can do the thing and get out of his situation. Riley then comes up with the genius plan of let's lure one of the Cenobites into the house, lock them in, and then stab them with the box. This does not go well. No. Um... And she ends up, uh, there's like a peely skinned one that gets like pinned in between the doors, but she dropped the box and then Voight all of a sudden is there again and he grabs the box. He stabs Colin with it. So now Colin is marked. It turns into the Levent uh, configuration while Voight is doing exposition about his nerve box and about how whenever he did the thing, he chose liminal sensation, which was obviously not the right reward for this dude. (laughs) Um, so as the Leviathan configuration takes shape, we see the giant ass Leviathan descend from the sky and hover over the fucking house, which is awesome. Very cool. Real cool. Yeah. Um, while Colin is being tortured by Cenobites, Riley ends up stealing the Leviathan configuration and saves Colin by stabbing Trevor with it. Um... While that's going on, the priest tells Voight that he chose the wrong gift. They take away Liminal and decide to replace it with Leviathan, and that at the moment that finally his, like, skin has peeled back together and he's free of his, like, torture contraption, then a gigantic chain shoots out of the sky and punctures him right through the chest, all awesome style. Then the priest goes to Riley and offers her a boon, you know, which one do you want? And Riley says she doesn't want one. We get this quote... You have chosen a life of regret, knowing everything you've done, everyone you've hurt and lost. Your suffering has barely begun. You choose to live, to carry the weight. Bitter and brief, you have chosen the lament configuration. (laughs) (laughs) And then the movie closes out on Voight, who is in some sort of, like, glowy heaven and he's up on this like golden winged like like transformy thing like mm-hmm. a piece of workout equipment and he is very white now hairless yeah hairless and his skin is being peeled off of him in cool bacony rivulets and uh and then like the pins go in and all of the stuff and i guess he's like becoming one with leviathan or something like yeah, that yeah as soon as he so. sees leviathan his eyes change and He's now some sort of, apparently some sort of Cenobite god or something. That's what it appeared to me, anyway. Or they're just fucking with him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Psych, you're here forever. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's the end of the movie. Yep, that's it. That's the movie. Good night. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's got some great stuff. Too long, though. It's uh, way too long. Just bogs down that whole middle section. And really, the middle sections, you know, th- th- that makes it sound like the first part of the movie is great, which it really isn't. It It's really slow to get off the ground. The, the, the whole, you know, final third of the movie is where all the action is. And, you know, there's some really cool stuff in there. But there's just, you know, I, I really liked the movie, but there's definitely something just kind of a little off about, you know, like just some of the... Stuff is so stock and trade Hollywood, like the double crossing boyfriend and the, you know, just 
there were there were a lot of things like that that sometimes they felt like nods to to stuff, and sometimes they just felt like cheap, you know, gimmicky rip off ideas. Um, but you know, at, I don't know. It's uh, I I didn't like Trevor at all. I mean, I just like not. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's a douche, but I mean, I just as a character, I didn't really care for him. And then the whole oh, he double crossed you. It's like okay, that's so dumb. Yeah, and like he's been working with with Gorn Visner with Voight the whole time. Nah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was there, but we didn't like really get any of it. It just like, as a matter of fact, that is the case, um, and and we didn't get any like motive why other than like it's a good job. Yeah, but for money, that was it. Yeah. Oh and, well, I get um, I'll get paid. You know, well if you want to get paid, you'll do this. You know, like you if you want to get paid, you'll open the gates to hell and bring demons in? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's even, like, part of it is, like, all right, now do the thing so I will ascend and die and won't be able to pay you anymore. And Trevor's like, well, yeah, I guess I will flip this switch. <laughs> Seems logical to me. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> There's also a lot of, like, tonal disconnect in this yeah. movie. Like, at the beginning, with all of the, like, youthful fun... I, I got that it was there to, like, build up some sort of connection with these youths, but uh, but it really, like, it was there for just a second, and then it's just gone, and it, it's not really, re- you know, replaced with anything. Yeah, there's two... Uh, they tried it a little at the towards the end with Nora, whenever she, like, accidentally turned on the music, Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, the, the, the only relationships of consequence was, you know, her relationship with Trevor, which, you know, goes south, but... You know, most of the movie, she's not really engaged with him in any way. So that's taken away. And then there's the relationship with her brother, which ends abruptly when he's gone. And his relationship with Connor, which is is gone, you know. And then yeah. he, he Connor kind of establishes a kind of a connection with the girl where it's like, you know, he he's kind of like her conscience or something like that. But kind of takes the role that his brother had without being so harsh on her. And, you know. Kind of pays a big price for that, a <laughs> little bit, yeah. I mean, he gets he gets wire whipped by a centipede for no damn reason. Not as bad as the deal that Nora got. Who all Nora did was be the roommate, yeah. Occasionally make tapas, agree to like you know not drink whenever Riley's around. She's just kind of a good person, yeah. and uh, and yeah, she gets she gets the full badness. Yeah, that's that's the part I don't understand when when. The Cenobites are only supposed, you know, like, they come for you because you've summoned them. Even though, technically, you haven't summoned them. You've just solved a puzzle box which summons them. And, you know, but then they'll just come and kill whoever they feel like killing. Like, they're supposed to have these rules or these guiding guidelines they follow. But whenever it's convenient to slaughter someone, they just kill that person. Just, you know, because it looks cool. It's like, wait, oh, wait a minute. Why would they kill that person? That person has nothing to do with any of this. So in this one, the rules are at least different in a way that makes sense. Like in this one, it's whoever gets marked by the box, whoever sure. gets their blood spilled on the box. It, I, but you're talking in like um, in the second one, Pinhead is like, oh, no, this is just a little girl. Hands do not summon us. Desire does or something like that. But then also it turns out that the chattering one was like a little kid whenever he gets turned back. That's right. He like, turned back into a the, child. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> this is so fucked. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, just put this. We'll, we'll say that you can't do this and then just do it five minutes later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So, okay, I wanted to talk about the puzzle box itself, because fuck yes, this puzzle box is amazing. It's everything that the original wasn't. If we're rating these movies based on the puzzle box, it wins. It is the best of all the movies, but puzzle-wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Lament configuration, I have zero complaints about that box. That was so cool. Yeah. The way it, it had the different configurations, which I thought was a really cool idea. Um you know, and the, they would just, on its own, just suddenly turn into, like, some weird dodecahedron thing or something. And, you know, and they were just kind of like, what is that? What the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. And then the blade thing was pretty pretty nifty, too. It looked great. Uh, I, I even liked there was, the sound of it was good. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, like, a cheesy piece of shit like the original, where it was like, uh, up, and then uh, twist, uh, and back down. <laughs> yeah, it, it it functioned as if it was a real thing. I mean, it really, you know, it, it it really moved in interesting ways. And, you know, obviously they had several ones that could handle the different shapes, but each one of those had moving parts that, you know, that made it much more, made it look totally believable. It was really awesome. Yeah, it's like Hell's Bop It. Yeah. <laughs> bop It. <laughs> Torture It. <laughs> Stab It. <laughs> Slice it, dice it, <laughs> bleed on it, <laughs> chop it, pop it. So, so yeah, I I love the puzzle box. I loved all the configurations. I also like the fact that we we get finally in the movies we get an answer to why it's called the lament configuration, and that mm-hmm. it makes sense that it's actually just one of the configurations of the puzzle box, and that not being the name of the box. So that was right. that was sweet. Um, yeah, I also really liked what this movie did with. Um, when they're summoned and the way they like moved walls, like obviously we talked about the one in the van, but even in the, at the hospice and in all of the instances, we see all of this stuff where like walls moving away or even the road going down into stairs and stuff. It mm-hmm. looked really good. It did. It, it it felt very kind of menacing and supernatural. Like it had that, you know, it, it's happening and the effects were good enough. The effects are good enough nowadays that you could make things like that look real. And, one of the high points of this movie is the sound design. And, you know, like I always watch it with, with earbuds in and the sound design is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really fleshes out some of those <laughs> moments, you know, like they, <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, when the walls are breaking through or whatever, you know, it really, it really has more, you know, gives more weight to it. it, it that was, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie was the sound. Yeah. There's like the, Oh, go ahead. Wheezing. I was going to say the wheezing Cenobite and stuff like that. The, the real sound of actual teeth clicking together that's that was creepy yeah yeah that was that was really good there and there were like two different cenobites that had breathing trouble i thought that was a little bit much but it's okay yeah. it's fine yeah <laughs> yeah it's like why are there two is one serena like i didn't i didn't yeah it was weird i think one was called <laughs> the gasp and the other one was called the asphyx yeah that's a little really yeah you're leaning heavily on the uh, respiratory problems here. It's, uh, I mean, and also uh, Serena had a rotting lung disorder or something. I mean, it was, you know, like the makeup effects were phenomenal. And, and Jamie Clayton did a great job. Yeah. Uh, she looked amazing. She sound, her voice is obviously was like being distorted, but you could still like if you knew her, you would probably recognize her voice. I don't. So, you know, but. You could tell it was her actual voice just being run through some kind of effect, but it sounded great. Yep. And uh, she did a great job. I mean, she, you know, I mean, uh, she basically just had to not show a lot, any emotion and 
you know, move slowly. And she did that very well. Yeah, she did a good <laughs> job of, of being menacing. There were times, one of my complaints about this movie is like, because it was all practical effects and makeup. There are times at which the lighting choices, I guess, and I think they like did some effects touch-ups where it looked mm. like computer animated trash. Especially yeah. like there's one scene with her where it's just like this weird blue silver glow effect on mm -hmm. the screen, and it looked like there was no reason for her to be in makeup that day. They could have just done that with a computer and but then other times it looked great. And like whenever you got like like the full body shots and you could see all of the like weird pale dried out skin and it's all like knotted up and stuff real good. But other times yeah. garbage. There's the lady with the, the neck open thing. And mm -hmm. uh, the first time you see her, the neck makeup is dry and just looks like like old chewing gum and bad and unrealistic <laughs> but then later in the movie it's it's glistening and pulsating and as she's talking it's like throbbing like a bass mm -hmm. you like you can see her vocal cords moving or something that was real good so yeah this the the, the practical effects in this are real hit and miss mostly good but then every once in a while just kind of like cheesy and disappointing but i guess that that kind of makes sense and harkens back to hellraiser of yore even it does but i don't think it was intentional i mean i think they they were trying to make it you know very it's very much a modern horror movie you know our contemporary one and that it, in that it was supposed to be genuinely disturbing and genuine like something that you know the characters you see on screen would look that way maybe if you actually encountered them in the real world you know like obviously you know skinless skinless uh uh Uncle What's His Nuts in the first movie is very clearly a dude in a rubber suit. Yeah. It looks cool, but I mean, it it's not even vaguely realistic. But like, I like I did really like the the uh, men style hand splitting down the length of the arm thing. That was amazing. Yeah, that was awesome. Do you think? Because okay, so so men finished production before this movie started production, but this movie finished production before men was released. So like they, uh, they, they'd had this one, it was in the canon ready to go. Do you think they like watched men? And then when they saw the Rory Kinnear split hand thing, they were like, God damn it. They did the thing. I mean, I'm pretty damn sure I've never seen the thing before. And then suddenly it's in two movies in the same year. It does seem a little coincidental. A little bit, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great effect, but and now you're going to see it like, you know, people's feet are going to split and the shin is going <laughs> to like right up like, like peeling a piece of celery or something. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to become real common, I guess. But it's a great effect. It looked really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was good, like, with all of the pins and stuff, and, like, it was, like, an actual, like, purposeful thing. Plus, it happening on both arms at the same time was cool, but, but I, I like, I saw that, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, in Men. Nice. <laughs> what was cool about it in Men was, was that it was only on one arm, so it had this, you know, this weird, like, asymmetric feel to it. Like, this, like, one arm's fine, the other arm looks like meat scissor. Like, what the, <laughs> it was... It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, they did way more with it. In this movie, it was just like, and I can also do this with my arms. Whereas yeah. in men, they were like, I'm going to hold you down with this horribly. Oh, right over the right split halfway across the neck holding her. That was amazing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this, you know, I was I was worried about this film going into it. 
uh, as probably were most fans. And um, I, I can't say that I'm, you know, I walk away from it disappointed, although there are definitely, you know, and, and then I wonder like, okay, how much of that, it's so hard to say because you can't be purely objective about it and think of it in a vacuum, but you know, like, what if that was the only Hellraiser movie that just came out and that was a movie? I, it's quite possibly I would think it was insanely badass, but I don't know. You know, it comes out on Hulu. Hulu makes some interesting shows, but they're not really known usually as heavy hitters. I mean, you know, okay, The Handmaid's Tale is pretty heavy hitting, but I, I mean, pray. they, yeah, yeah, that's true. They, they, but there's just something about you know, like Hulu, which is, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because it's their Disney or something. <laughs> it's just, it's just strange. Like, imagine if it came out on HBO, if it was an HBO production, people would see it differently. Yeah. It's, it's weird. But I mean, having said that, I, I'm thinking like, what if I watched that movie just going into it, having no idea what it was? I, I know I would think it was cool, but I would probably be like, ah, that movie was a muddle. Like <laughs> there was just, there was just too much goofiness going on in there, you know? And then the whole, you know, I know addiction is is supposed to be sort of prescient right now because you know three quarters of the planet is addicted to fentanyl apparently, and Jesus. so you know the other the other quarter died from it. I mean, yeah. whatever. It's it's terrible. You know, addiction is a real problem, particularly in this country right now. So I get that. I get kind of harping on that, but at the same time, it's like, is this okay? So this is a movie about addiction. Because it's not really a movie about addiction. It's just kind of a, a device, you know, instead of making it a weird sex thing, which I missed the weird sex stuff because Jamie Clayton is sexy as hell in that movie. Mm -hmm. It's, it's you know, like the other ones, eh, there's one that looks like an Asian woman in a bodysuit, like a, a rubber, like, you know, cut up bodysuit with wires and shit, but she walks like a ballerina, like very carefully and very, you know, and I was like, that person looks so human. They <laughs> just, just not, it's not working. The, you know, they're, cause there's that one that looks like the, the robot in, uh, Metro, what is it? Metropolis? What's the, yeah. that ancient movie, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's like, why do you look like a robot made out of flesh? Is that your punishment? That was, it was weird. It looked cool. It was just weird. Yeah. Straight, strange choices in there. And yeah, it, it was missing that, that, uh, sexual tension like in this one all of the sexual tension is at the beginning you know there's the the sex party and then riley and trevor have sex and then for a second it feels like there's weird incestual tension between her and her brother yeah, yeah that's true i guess that's true that is in there but, I'm, but yeah it's like I, I just felt like she was you know there we're gonna hammer this idea that she you know she doesn't have boundaries mm -hmm. but then she's incredibly boundary laden like she's very <laughs> she's suddenly like hyper focused and you know fully functional and and a total badass and can fight demons from hell it's like hey, wait a minute yeah <laughs> this girl's a mess <laughs> i think part of that is like so so we did we got that sexual tension at the beginning uh, uh yeah. with with voight and the one that he chose was liminal was sensation so i mm -hmm. think what it is is that the priest and the cenobites <laughs> are luring people and tempting them with the thing that they want and yeah. so with her the thing that she wanted was resurrection like she wanted to to save her brother and that was like um like her her motivation for getting clean almost 
And right. and so they were like luring her back with getting rid of that, but also like giving in and the whole like enough yeah. is a myth and stuff like that. So I think it was that the idea was that this one was custom made for her. Um, yeah. This this whole Cenobite experience, which would be an interesting idea. Yeah. <laughs> and bodes well for any sequels this movie might yeah. get. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a it's a given at this point that they're gonna re you know they're gonna do another one. I mean that Bruckner everybody said they want to. It's just a question of if this one does, you know, does well. Well, does well box office. There is no box office, so it's just showing up on Hulu. And people have been talking about it, and people have been favorable. the The critics like it, and it looks like the fans like it, which is a which is a, like a slam dunk for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think that's enough interest for them to make another movie, which is cool because as he, as Bruckner says, they've already kind of created this world. Now they just have to kind of step back into it. And he's got a whole crew of people who understand, have an understanding of the world that they created. So that reality is just kind of waiting for them to step back in and, and, you know, make some, you know, make the modifications and the refinements and the things that they wanted you know that they just didn't get quite right you know it seems like that was kind of the like we want to you know we want the next one to be like even better like expanding or whatever you know and it's like okay i'm all all on board for that fuck yeah so does it sound like it's gonna be bruckner for the sequel too that's the way it sounded hey that's awesome i was thinking like who who could they get to do the sequel maybe rob zombie (laughs) (laughs) oh god Oh dear God! I mean, he oh, is—he is a natural choice to do a Hellraiser sequel, but maybe not a natural choice to do a sequel to this Hellraiser. They'd have like people with like their like a guy with his penis butterfly sliced like all <laughs> all the way out, stretched out, and like <laughs> cursing, and you know, poop stains on his pants, and like just typical Rob Zombie stuff. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, yes. Let's- the poop stain Cenobite. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that guy is so poopy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just covered in shit and pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will hopefully Br- Bruckner will come back. But yeah, there's definitely some other folks out there that that I think would do. I mean, like I, I still wish I could have seen the Pascal, Pascal Lonier version. That that I don't know though because his first like I loved Martyrs, love it, and still love it. And uh, and then the Tall Man was, <laughs> and then after that he did that that other one that I saw once and tried to pretend like I never saw it because it was terrible where the the girls are in the house with the two goons like chasing them through the house the ghost something or it was it was not good oh, no. it's on it's on shutter it's okay but it's not it's better than the tall man yeah which was a real fucking dud is that the Jessica Beale one Yes. Oh God. <laughs> that's the guy from that's the guy who made Martyrs. That's his movie. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make that, sense. <laughs> that, that movie's a bucket of shit. I mean I and I like her and I was I was rooting for it, but it just didn't especially when the major conceit turns out to, you know, be like one of those pull the rug out from under your feet thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like uh, he's not really a scary character. Like, oh great, thanks. <laughs> Good. 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 I didn't think he was at all, but now <laughs> You know, it's like, God damn it. Uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, a buddy of mine was telling me that uh, that Bruckner, uh, that the, the Night House was supposed to be a Hellraiser movie originally. 
I I posited that on Twitter because I went back and I watched. You're right. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Really? Yeah. Apparently, that he was developing that story originally to be a Hellraiser story, and some of the elements that he ended up putting in Nighthouse, I guess you know Hellraiser got pushed back or whatever, so he went and focused on Nighthouse instead, which might explain why Nighthouse doesn't feel like a completed project because he's taking ideas from a different story and then having to strip the story that the ideas are for out of the ideas. So, you know, I mean, I mean, it had, and that makes sense because the movie had some cool stuff in it, but overall the framework of it was very thin. I thought, yeah, it Um, was, it was, it doesn't feel like a Bruckner movie to me. I went back and I rewatched it because, because of this movie, like waiting for it. And then after I like noticed the little thing, I like paid attention to it. And I do enjoy the movie now more than I did before, but, but you're right. It doesn't feel like, which is weird to say that it doesn't feel like a Bruckner movie because up until this movie, we only had one other movie to compare it to, but um, it's just that, yeah, it's just that the ritual is so, it's such a confident story. Like it's, you know, my kids love it. You know, my 15-year-old daughter loves it. And my 19-year-old son loves it for very different reasons. But they they both love the creature. They both love the way the story flows. You know, they, they just appreciate that movie. And, you know, their 54-year-old dad fucking likes it too. You know, it's that's, that's an accomplishment for a horror director nowadays. And um, it creeps everyone out. You know, the monster is one of the greatest monster movie monsters of all time. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, he's not, it's not like there's the universal monsters. Great, but they were all, they were almost all monsters before universal picked them up, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) IP monsters. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess so was the, so was the Jotun. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, what he did with it was just fucking great. And, but then again, so one of the things that does make it feel like does make the Nighthouse feel like a Bruckner film, like now that we've got three, is there's always like some kernel of human experience tragedy that's playing yeah. as a theme. So in yeah. in this one, it's addiction. In the Nighthouse, it's uh, mourning, and mm-hmm. probably even the stages of mourning because she's going through like all of these things, like bargaining, depression. And, yeah. yeah, depression is a major major facet of that movie yeah and then in uh in the ritual it was uh survivor's guilt survivor's guilt that's true and yeah that does root uh hellraiser in our world in that respect i mean obviously you know you're 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 signing up for the supernatural but i think it's i think it's wise that he does that you know he gives you a foundation that's something that we can relate to you know this this girl who who's likable and she did a great job. I mean, fantastic she, job, great performance. Uh, I forget her name. Ozzy Maliki Dicky Wing Ding Ding Dong. Good. I think that's it. Yeah, Odessa um, a-, a Zion. That's it. Yeah, she must have been raised on a commune or something. But she's she's good, and uh, she she's believable as an addict too, which is not easy to do. Uh, and you know, so I guess, yeah, I guess in that respect, that's true. It is kind of a, a Brucknerian thing you know like what's the guy's name that does the uh does all the adaptations on uh netflix but he also did you know the uh the shining sequel and are you talking uh, about flanagan flanagan yeah, yeah you know like flanagan has a you know it doesn't take you long to figure out you're watching a flanagan project yeah yeah you could describe something as flanaganian <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Bruck, I want to I want to dress, describe something as Brucknerian, but he hasn't even like I love this movie, this Hellraiser movie. It doesn't even come close to the ritual, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, the ritual is a great movie. I really, really enjoy it because most of that film isn't even horror. It's just a bunch of dumbasses who actually are believable as dumbasses, which which that could have been that could have been so shit in the wrong hands, you know that. That, that movie was set up to be terrible. A bunch of friends go on a hike and, you know, get lost and are haunted by or, or tormented by folk magic bullshit. It's like, oh, great. That sounds really good. <laughs> but <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And and with that one, it was uh, an ad- adaptation of the novel. I've been I've been reading the novel and like he he did such a good job because the novel is great. But if the you novel's ju- fantastic. But if you just hit it point for point, that would have been a terrible movie. And he there's did too a- much in there that you don't need. Yeah, in like, a movie. I mean, in all a movie. of in the, the book, it's great. All of the like Norwegian rock star guys like doing yeah. stuff. Like it, it, it's great. But it would be yeah. way too much in a movie. And he did a great job of excising the front portion, putting putting things in that gave it yeah. weight and. Oh, it, it did a great job of adapting it. And also this, like, like I feel like he did a really good job. I haven't read the original uh, novella, but like what he was able to do with the, with the lore. And like, we got a, a deeper dive into the workings of things in some ways, in other ways, not so much, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was, I think this was a really good job and I am he, excited for yeah. what he does next. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you could tell that that they worked with Barker on this one. It, you know, to some degree. I mean, Barkner's Barkner, Barker Barkner. and Bar and, and Bruckner, Barkner. Dang. Uh, Bar- Barker like that that kind of just that feel that he gets in his in his writing particularly in, you know, in in the Hellbound Heart or whatever, but uh it's there in this movie. It has a very Barker feel to it, you know, because Barker is, is, he'll put these weird arcane ideas like this box, but then, you know, sometimes, you know, in a lot of movies or books or whatever, the box would be the most interesting thing, but the box is like a setup for something else, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it gets like arcane almost like this weird, you know, it's, it's like ornate in the, and he, you, you got that in this movie, like the house, the mansion that's completely protected by a lament scaffolding, as you said, <laughs> yeah. that was a really cool idea, even though it's simple. But I, it's like, wait a minute, this guy figured out that if he builds this scaffolding around his house with these lament patterns that he has to learn, then you know he can keep them at bay. And sure enough, whatever the things close, they just stand there and wait. Yeah, super creepy too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was really cool. And then there were just little touches I liked when the. Uh, they open the the one that they let in, you know, because they they're gonna let that one in and kill it, and all of a sudden it starts sprinting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It had, it had the wires that were all around it constricting it, and then those just busted off, and it it was able to go. That was fantastic. That was great. That was very disturbing because you just expect them all to crawl. 
Yeah. It's always so slow, you know? And yeah, that was great. And then he gets trapped in the doorway and it's just sitting there like. <laughs> <laughs> and then his face peels off and it's amazing. And he like yeah. part of the reason that he's uh, the asphyx is that it's that like that fucking foreskin over his face. And like once he peels that off, then you see this, his big gaping mouth go. <gasps> It's fucking awesome. It's yeah, that was fantastic. I mean, those little touches were great, and that 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 was really fun to see because, you know, as fans of this series, we've all imagined, you know, a lot of the kind of stuff that was put into this movie. Wouldn't it be cool if the Cenobites really looked scary, or wouldn't it be cool if, you know, the effects really were able to keep up with the imaginative nature of the story, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. That all that's in there. You know, I don't know that I'd say it's perfectly put together, but the elements are there. And if if they can get a better script and tighten it up, make the movie maybe 80, 85 minutes, maybe, <laughs> you know, 90 at the absolute most and just make it nice and tight. You know, get rid of all the extraneous characters. Everybody has to have a reason to be there and just nail it down. They could make a hell of a movie. Yeah, some hell razor of a movie. <laughs> so so you mentioned uh you mentioned that if you had watched this movie and the originals weren't there and this was your first time seeing a hellraiser movie what would you think of it and then later you also mentioned martyrs and i think that's probably what we would have gotten after like if we watched this movie without hellraiser being a thing we'd be like it's kind of like a neat uh takeoff on martyrs where like you've yeah. got the flaying and like the 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 sensation and the heavenliness of it and all of that, that. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the yeah yeah that's a good point. It's funny because I you know the first time I watched Mars I was blown away because I didn't you know I thought it was going to be girl gets chased by demon creature for the entire movie and and you know as you know if you if if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to have it spoiled I'm about to spoil what happens in it but. Um, well, no, I'm not going to spoil it. Fuck it, because we may cover it one day. But what yeah. happens in the movie is really cool. And uh, there's some big surprises in that movie that are very effective. At least they were for me. Uh, and the the whole conceit of the whole the whole purpose of the whole story, I thought, was really cool. I, I'm sure a lot of people would argue that it's extremely pretentious. And then I would just have one word as a response, France. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just let it go. Yeah. <laughs> So, bringing up Martyrs, by the way, if you're going to go watch Martyrs, make sure that you watch the original French one and not the American yes. remake, because yes. go that movie can go fuck itself. Yeah, um, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah, and and th this is one of the things that I want to praise this Hellraiser movie for, is it's not like that. Like, they're, yeah. they're, I am all for remaking movies, but yeah. I kind of think that the purposeful i don't know it we've talked about this before the purposeful americanized remake of things is really hit or miss and martyrs is one of those where like they took the great ideas from the original and they like softened it up and and i want to bring this back around to the new um good night mommy have mm. you watched that yet i'm afraid to watch it so i haven't like well, not afraid like scary like i'm afraid they're going to ruin it it is 
it nothing can ruin the original because the original is still amazing mm-hmm. and the new one is just a piece of shit really yeah that's a shame it's 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 naomi watts right isn't she it's naomi mom? watts the the queen of the remake yes yeah right but i mean you know the first american uh uh, uh what the fuck movie is was good i liked it uh the the first Jesus Christ, what the hell is it? The, uh... Superstar? Nah, the one with the tapes, the videotapes, and the demonic girl that comes out of the TV. Oh, oh yeah, The Ring. The Ring. Jesus, I even have those tapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had, tape? like... Yeah, they showed up on the door of the, the bookstore at the at the ah. bookstop, and it was as, as a promotional thing. There were just these stacks of videotapes, and we were like, what the hell is this? And popped it in. Nice. And everybody was freaking out at work. They're like, what is going on? And I'm like, dude, it's <laughs> clearly a promotional Call video. It's promotion. It's like, it's Hollywood. You can tell by looking at it. I don't know. I was just on BlairWitch.com and I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, though. I still have a couple of those. I, I sent some to the Forever Midnight guys. But uh, Nice. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. What were we saying? I, I got us sidetracked. Oh, we were. I was just talking about how "Good Night, Mommy" the remake is a pile of trash. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Americanizing remakes remakes are usually pretty bad. There are some exceptions. I am probably one of the few people that believes this, but I think the American remake of "Let the Right One In," which was like mm-hmm. "Let Me In" or whatever the hell they changed the name to, I thought it was better than the original Swedish film. Uh, I don't think many people agree with me, but. I read the book. The book is phenomenal. And for some reason, I thought the American version of the story captured the feel of the book better than the Swedish movie did. That's a great book, by the way. I highly recommend that one. I'll have to read it. Like, uh, from reading the uh, the ritual, I'm like, okay, yeah, I need to get into horror fiction again. Like, it has been too long, and this is amazing. <laughs> Bruckner's great. Uh, Adam Neville is fucking great. Not Aaron Bruckner. Neville. Adam Neville. Uh, yeah. Uh, not not Bruckner. Bruckner is, yeah. There's a, there's a couple guys out there that are doing some really great stuff. Um, and there's there's more than that. Those are just the ones that I've uncovered in the last year or so since I, I started reading uh, uh, or listening to uh, <laughs> yeah. contemporary horror. Because there, there was this period when I was a lot younger and, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know, like just out of high school maybe for a few years. And I went through this weird phase where I was like, you know, man, you know what I should start? Because I was reading a bunch of sci-fi novels and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'd really like to read some cool horror books because I had remembered getting into Lovecraft back, you know, a few years prior and loving that. And like, you know, Poe and some other Ambrose Bierce stuff that I had read. And I was like, I wonder if there's any really cool contemporary horror. And I went to this store. It was a sci-fi bookstore, but the guy had a horror section. And I asked the guy and he's like, uh, definitely check out Ramsey Campbell. He's really good as a British horror writer. So I bought one of his books and I went home and I read it and I was just like, it's not a bad book, but it's not, it doesn't capture my imagination. You know, it just mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't do anything for me. And then I, I tried again with a couple more books that were recommended and I, they didn't do anything for me either. So I was like, all right, I guess I just don't like horror fiction, but I don't know what's changed since then, but a lot of it is really good now. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get it. I mean, I mostly read um like sci-fi fantasy when I'm reading fiction. Yeah. I like the I like the speculative and it's just horror is just like one step over from that and I just I need to dive into it. I mean, uh, one of my favorite authors is uh Dan Simmons and he's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. 
very clearly straddles the line between the two, and it's always fantastic. Well, that show that's based off of, uh, I forget the book, but where those guys are the, the up in the Arctic Circle, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they get trapped up. That's a great, uh, great series, and that book is cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, what is that called? Fuck. It's like 20,000 pages or something like that. <laughs> yes. All of his stuff is so long. <laughs> he does not screw around. <laughs> no, but the, the Hyperion Cantos, for anyone that wants a really good uh, sci-fi tinged with horror recommendation, uh, Hyperion and the uh, entire Hyperion Cantos, but the, the first book, just Hyperion by Dan Simmons, is spectacular. Is it? Oh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to hunt that one down then. I've got... I'm, I'm, this has been the year of audiobooks for me, so I'm up to, I'm just shy of 80 this year. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Well, I will say the audiobook for it is spectacular because oh, cool. it is it, it is written as a sequence of different people's narratives. Yeah. And so in the audiobook, they have a different uh, voice actor doing mm-hmm. each of those narratives, oh. and it is perfect. That's great. Yeah, I'm doing, yeah. I'm listening to Never, Never More right now with, uh, uh, Gaiman and Gaiman is the narrator and he's a really good narrator so uh that's nice. that's it's a lot of fun but um one of the things about you know a book like for instance the ritual is i mean it's a novel and if you it, you know you you write and i write and i mean you know we're not like famous writers or anything but we we nope. know how to write and uh the there's a huge like writing a novel is is a a thing it's like a whole thing unto itself and um writing a good novel is like like pantheon yeah yeah you know because there's a trillion different ways that you can fuck up a novel i mean you have Mm -hmm. you have way too much room to make mistakes (laughs) so when when a novel is effective i mean everything except for the absolute best of the best of literature maybe is gonna have problems you know, and yes. then everything else is going to sit below the greatest novels that, you know, that hit you in that way, you know, where it just seems like every word should be there. It's it's bizarre how something can be that someone can work that hard on something and have nothing be wrong with it. But, uh, you know, like so like the, in the ritual, like you had said, if if they took that whole subplot with the the black metal guys um, and put that in that movie, it would have just been silly. And, and just dumb, but for some reason in the ritual it's fine. Um, yeah, it's it's somebody. I read some Goodreads reviews about that that book where people were complaining because uh, a lot of women were complaining because they felt that the book is very misogynistic. There's basically almost no female characters uh, except for later that one character that's with those black metal guys, but she's treated badly, and you know. But I was like, I don't really get that out of this. I mean, you're right, there aren't a lot of women in it, but they're not all walking around slagging women all the time, but they really got like deep into it. So it's you just never know what people think. And it's really anytime you expose yourself, you know, as a creative person, it's you just you just never know what's going to come back at you. So that when I think of things like the Hellraiser movie on those terms, I'm like, man, that movie's a huge triumph because there were so many reasons why that movie could have failed. You know, I mean, there were, the anticipation was high, but the, also the expectations were low. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there was, you know, it just had, it had so many reasons why it could have just sucked. Like, oh, we're yeah. going to change the, we're going to take the, we're going to, we're not going to use Doug Bradley, which was already scary to people. And then we're going to, 
change the whole feel of that character and make it, you know, basically feel very un- inhuman, like, you know, very other, you know, yeah. which was the intent all along. And so all the fans were like, cool, but then you wonder, you know, people who aren't diehard fans are going to be confused. Like, what is this fucking character? I don't, I don't, I mean, cause there's, I guess there's, there's a lot of ambiguity in the hell priest and it's, that might be tough for a general audience to really understand. <laughs> yeah. You're you're right. It is that there's there's a lot of ways in which this movie succeeded where it very could easily could have just like failed entirely. And yeah, it's I don't know what it would be like to be someone that watches this movie having like not seen any of the others, like not knowing what this is. I don't know. I I kind of get the feeling that it would almost be better for them because they're not having yeah. something else to compare it to. And maybe the Cenobites yeah. just like make a little bit, uh, they make more sense in this movie than in, you know, the sequel verse. But, yeah. um, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's confusing. And like, I have my opinions about it now, but I really feel like my opinions about it now are subject to change as I spend more time with the movie and, and have the opportunity to like, sit back and think on it which yeah. i have it it's so fresh i haven't had that true so so yeah i mean it, it it could really go any way on that and i i'm interested to see how this movie's success plays out over the coming weeks and yeah and how it plays out over my emotional state <laughs> yeah <laughs> one thing about the the Cenobites, particularly if someone was going in cold, they would have no idea who these characters were if they ever used to be human. I guess you could kind of put two and two together at the end of the movie and, you know, where a human becomes a Cenobite. But, uh, and that would probably be most people's assumption. I guess these used to be people before and they somehow ended up in this state, but they could just as easily have been, you know, a creation of the Leviathan that had no connection to, you know, the, the human world other than their role as as uh i don't know what you'd call them like shepherds for souls or something <laughs> yeah yeah i i really like in the so, so one of the things from the originals is seeing someone get turned into a cenobite and i really like that they saved that for the very last thing in this one and that it's like even even that it's not going to be like one of the you know, foot soldier Cenobites. It's obviously like he's up on some sort of thing. Very, uh, for fans of Neon Genesis Evangelion, it looks a lot like, I think, Adam is oh, his really? name in that. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, it's also very, like, crucifix style mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. It's, it, I don't know. The whole thing is very interesting. I, I can't wait to see what happens with it next. I do want a sequel. I will watch that. Yeah, there's a lot there that they can go with. I mean, they, they, you know, it's not like, oh, well, we, we're just going to make this one off, but oh, it turns out it's a hit. Now what are we going to do? I mean, they've, they've got framework to go with uh, yep. for sure. I would like to see more about, I would love to see somebody successfully kind of tell the story or get into the mythology of the Leviathan. Like, what is it? And without, you know, without doing it in a like Darth Vader origin way, you know, where we have to watch Darth Vader as a fucking kid. Like I don't, I don't need to see that, you know, it's, 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 I saw it and it was fine, but I didn't need to see it. I don't give a shit what kind of kid he was, you know, I'm like, who cares? He was a kid. Great. Just tell me he was a kid and he was a normal kid, you know, with a talent. 
and as he got older, he started to have a predilection towards, you know, a weakness for um, wanting to Killing take children. moral shortcuts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. That's all I need. Yeah. I mean... Uh, it, it's weird because there's obviously so there's obviously like we're going over but that's fine i don't care there's obviously like clockworks involved and so that dates them the fact yeah. that they're super into clockwork so yeah. so we're getting a little bit of that uh le marchand mm-hmm. feeling to them like okay so they they're not like some sort of forever creatures also the fact that they're alliteration has several biblical references it's like okay all right so how about the five the 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 significance of the number five oh i mean that that hit me because there's no real clarification not even really a hint at it there's the five stages or the five configurations and is it six Six. Okay, so there's six. Yeah, so what's the significance of six then? Like, what? It must have some sort of meaning. I'm guessing, maybe not. Uh, they might not have been able to come up with other L words. <laughs> this is the Lorenzo configuration. We originally had eleven configurations, but then the movie would have been seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Lamont configuration. <laughs> the Lamaz configuration for that one pregnant Cenobite. <laughs> We give you the gift of eternal birth. <laughs> Find your breath. <sighs> it's like a baby cannon just... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like that thing at the bank where the vacuum tube comes through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Alright, John, if you had to rate this movie not mm-hmm. compared to the other movies but in general on a scale of yeah. zero to five loathsome things how would you rate this movie i'm going to based on that criteria i would give it a 3.75 damn <laughs> is that what you had i have 3.7 <laughs> Oh my god, we we think too much alike it's, for this shit. It's not... it's a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I uh, it, I mean it's it's great when it's great. There are sometimes that it's not great. Um, I love the dedication to practical effects. Like mm-hmm. great job, David Bruckner. You you went and did it again. Great stuff. Uh, but sometimes it wasn't firing all, on all cylinders. I think uh, he just needs a bigger budget. Give this dude some money to play with, and uh, and and really go after it. Yeah, he needs he needs a he needs a very strong screenplay, and he needs a producer or a production team that is not afraid to, you know, de George Lucasize, you know, anything he might want to do with it in the future. Not that I'm attributing any of that to Bruckner, but. Like preemptively, <laughs> if he has any tendency to want to, you know, dig too deeply into the mythology and just strip all the magic out of it, it would be nice that they, if they had some sort of production team that could nail him to the ground. Ah. Maybe he'll listen. Maybe he'll listen better than uh, <laughs> than than uh, Lucas did, which was not at all. No. Yeah, I yeah, I think a three point seven five is fair. I mean, it's uh, I really enjoyed it. As far as like on the enjoyment scale, it would be you know close to a five, but. 
overall, taking everything into consideration, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a good film for me. And, and, you know, I would definitely recommend it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, a lot better than I would have ever guessed a couple of years ago if you told me this was coming down the pike. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you hearken, hearken back to when we covered The Ritual, we that's when we dis- I discovered it. It was like, oh yeah, yeah. he's working on a Hellraiser reboot? Uh, that can't be a good idea. And then it was great. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he definitely understands the franchise. I mean, that's cool. He... And he obviously respected Clive Barker enough to get input from him, which was also very smart. Uh, and, you know, he, he interpreted it in a pretty interesting way, considering I don't know the guy at all. I totally got where he was coming from with it. That's that's pretty good movie making. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a 7.45, but I'm not sure about that because math is hard, but I think that's a 7.45. It doesn't crack the top 10, but I would go as far to say that it probably sits at the left hand of the original Hellraiser, where it's, like, arguable about whether or not Hellraiser 2 or Hellraiser 2022 is the better film. Right. Yeah. Hellraiser 2 does function well as a part two. You know, it's a sequel, yes, but it, it really does function, you know, as a continuation of the story. But something gets lost in the translation there. And that's what allows 2022 to kind of sneak in as a reboot and, you know, basically start the franchise all over again on its own terms, Uh, which, you know, is definitely a five in terms of ballsiness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. uh, 10 out of 10 loathsome balls on this one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Five, five sacks full of awesome balls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, so for a sequel, John, I've got a question. For a sequel, what creative choice would you like to see made for a sequel, a follow-up to this film? Well, for one thing, I would like the story to take place in a place that is reflected in the film. There's too much of, like, okay, you're shooting in Belgrade, but everybody's American. Yeah. Why is everyone American in Belgrade? And, and as far as I can tell, it's supposed to be Belgrade? That was never really clear. No, the house is in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they are supposed to be in the U.S. It doesn't feel like the U.S. at all. No. The facade of the house doesn't look like the U.S. The town she's in with the, you know, the city she's in with the cobblestone streets and, like, cobblestone streets? What is this? you, You might as well. I mean, you're supposed to be in Massachusetts. I get it. Boston probably has areas with cobblestone streets, but they don't look like that. No. No, this is, It just... So that's one creative thing I would like to see. I would like to see the setting actually matter because it never matters in any of the the Hellraiser films at all. Like, this is England, but it's supposed to be New York. It's like, dude, but no one, you know, thinks New York looks like this. And I, I mean, you know, come on. Stuff like that, I just, I, you know, that's a simple one, though. But I would just like to see a tighter, a tighter story with less waste. Like, that would be... I would be overjoyed if they pulled that off. Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty cool. I I want to see I want to see like a different incarnation of it. I want to see like a 
non-christianized one like yes, like what yes. if what if they're like in addition to the puzzle box there was also like i don't know like a hindu version of all of it where you know they've got like their own setup of things and their own that alliterations. would be really cool yeah like I, I i want i want some variety to this spice yeah that would actually be fascinating if it was if you know because they kind of hinted that with this movie that they're because there's two ways that you look at the Hellraiser franchise. There's the the there are demons in some you know maze like mazed out section of hell that has its own little god there, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. But it you know so they're in the Christian Judeo Christian you know thing in some way, but not really. And then there's the other take on it where they're from another dimension. Yeah, you know, and and that's a great idea, you know, and and. Playing up on that a little bit without, you know, spending a whole movie with people walking through foggy rooms and doors that open to the outdoors and all that kind of dumb shit that they do in movies. But the other thing I think would be really cool um, is if it wasn't about a bunch of fucking young people. It was really just about adults, like actual people, you know, instead of like these weird kind of stereotypical characters. Just put the characters in because they're interesting and just because that's the kind of people that fit for this story yeah you know hey it just maybe uh maybe for the sequel it could be set in india but it's about four british lads on holiday (laughs) (laughs) i I like your idea the multicultural idea i think that would be super awesome if you if you like if barker was able to you know get like get with an indian production team and talk to them about you know how can we adapt this for a Hindu audience, but also in a way that a Western audience could appreciate without it just being explicitly a Hindu, you know, it's like, it's not this, it's not Kali with nails in her face or whatever, you know, it's, it, that would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even like take it a little bit West of there and have it be like in a, uh, like a Sufism area where you've got like Muslim and Hindu influences going on. Like, like let's, let's get it all in there. I want to see what other kinds of shit is going on because they're obviously not just picking on Christians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I've seen a lot of movies. I've been, I'm an older guy now and, some of my favorite movies that I've seen, particularly on like uh, Shudder in the last year or so, are foreign horror films yep. that just have a different feel to them. You know, so they're, you know, like there was that one about the the girl that gets possessed and the whole family. I think it was like in Malaysia or something like that. Oh, yeah. And then the, the, the great aunt has to try to exercise the demon from her or whatever. That was cool. That yeah. movie was really fun. And there's there was several movies like that. There's a there's an Indian horror film that I haven't seen, but uh, the director was interviewed like on the Forever Midnight show, actually mentioning them again because they they knew her uh, before she became famous. Well, in India, maybe. But uh, <laughs> and she made it. She made a horror film in India, and apparently it's really good. And I I meant to see it. I haven't seen it yet. But that would be cool if they put the Hellraiser idea into a different cultural background yeah (laughs) i like that and not just at the beginning as it being like a orientalism place to go to purchase your exotic goods but actually like have it like full-blown and not just tijuana please but you know like actually like set a thing there in not just a different setting where white people are but set it in a different culture yeah plus i'm a total whore for like uh a well-done period horror, you know, like 
most period play like you know period based horror films are terrible. Mm-hmm. It's just take a shitty horror movie and just put it back in during the Civil War or whatever. Yeah. You know, but or they try to over literary it so it's like very serious and you know like, it's very formal like and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, yeah, like take take the realism of something like The Witch but then have them confront something completely otherworldly like the Cenobites maybe as we see them now. <sighs> so they're they're being confronted with this this technology that's more advanced than anything, but it's a puzzle box that anybody can understand. And, you know, if something like that showed up in a world like that, it would be so alien and any audience could understand that without, you know, having to have lived back then because you, the feel would already be there. You'd be like, Oh, I'm in this crazy environment. This it's not crazy, but it's just a different world. They fleshed it out really well. And then that, you know, the presence of this, otherworldly thing from a different dimension which you know why does it always have to be contemporary you know it could be some other time and that's that i think would be cool how dost thou achieve such a shine on thine crotch toggle (laughs) (laughs) crotch toggle (laughs) oh my god thine neck bolts are spectacular (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) <laughs> oh my god or you could just do pinhead versus frankenstein or something like oh, that. oh yeah no no <laughs> no but yeah like like think about the, well i don't know have you seen prey yet yes it's oh, excellent yeah so so like that is a great example like they did they yes. they went yes. back in time but then there yes. is all like i love the fact that even the predator has a uh like lower level of technology like because they hadn't advanced either like i'd like to right. see that like wh- i'd like to see a movie like that's about the cenobites but before like a la marchand happened and how they like managed to do their things before the puzzle box was a deal it's fucking yeah, great yeah because they that's true because it's it the implication was that they existed prior to the box. The box was a way to transition to get to their realm, you know, or to take advantage of their realm. So that it would imply that in that universe, there's there's more backstory to that. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, because uh, uh, Pinhead even said like hell hasn't been the same since you you know came over here, and she had gone over there when the puzzle box got made, and yeah, so like. It was already existing. It was just like, oh, well, this is, uh, you know, this is the new trend. That's where the the fun of some of the sequels, as bad as they are, comes in. You know, I mean, like some of those directors, they maybe weren't highly skilled, but they had balls and they tried some crazy shit. Yeah. You know, and some of some of those ideas were cool ideas. They just didn't work very well, you know, overall. Um, sometimes the acting was bad most of the time, but <laughs> there were some talented people in those movies and, uh, you know. That would be awesome. And then also, yeah, going back to the Cenobites, and I know we're way over it's here. It's fine. It's fine. I love this. <laughs> going going back to the Cenobites, like, I still don't really understand the Cenobites, you know? Like, there's whatever movie there is where you see, I guess it's three or four or whatever, where they they turn back to their selves before they, you know, self two. is released. It was two, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, so then you get you get a little bit of an idea, you know, what's going on there, but they don't really explore that in the series. Like in five with Craig fucking Schaefer, there's (laughs) the torso Cenobite with arms. Like what's that guy's story? I'd love to know what it is other than just, you know, other than identical twins whose faces twist together with a piece of metal, which looked cool, but it didn't mean anything. Yeah. 
Or in that movie, the the top half Cenobite is there whenever there's the sexy twin ladies with weird string beards that that like massage his chest bones. Like, yeah, I, I want that. Like, old Hellraiser loves a twins. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there is a there is a whole twin thing going on, isn't there? Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. There's so much. Yeah. There's there's so much more they could do. That that's what's so cool about that world is he created this basic world in a. Fir- freaking novella you know he didn't even flesh it out that much and it's it's so well contained maybe what we need is we need a uh a mashup of hellraiser and bill and ted where they're (laughs) able to like go throughout time but instead of in earth time it's cenobite time and they're (laughs) working on like piecing together all of like what what is even up with the cenobites Bill and Ted Razor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And Death can be there too. He seems like he would know a bit about the Cenobites and would be a good uh, guide. <laughs> He'll be the Leviathan stand-in. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Fantastic. Our ideas are always better than anyone else's. Like yours yeah, especially. Other, <laughs> other people need to come up with better ideas like the ones we have. I think that's why they make movies and we don't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, John, who's the motherfucking asshole of Hellraiser twenty twenty two? Oh, oh man, I guess I, I guess to be fair, it would have to be Voight, but I think I'm going to go with Trevor just because he completely played on her emotions. So, I mean that that he was just such a soulless person, and and he had the capacity probably to not be. Uh, whereas Voight was just so monomaniacal. He's obviously a fucking asshole, but he was so weird the Cenobites got him, you know? So, like, they understood him, so he he almost isn't even human already. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Trevor. I don't know. How about you? I mean, I, I agree. I feel like Trevor needed something t- as as a compulsion. Like, he needed to, like, have a threat hanging over him for him to be the way he was. But mm-hmm. it, he didn't, so it just didn't make sense. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to say Matt, because fuck Matt. I hated every moment that he was on the screen, and he was the only character in here where I was like, good, when he died. He, yeah, he was, a. that's true, he was a motherfucking asshole. He treated her like shit, and if he hadn't treated her so bad, she would have never gotten herself into that mess in the first place. I know, yeah. And I mean, like, dealing with someone with with addiction, like, that's rough. Like, he's got a a rough thing going on there. But also, fuck that guy. Because, like, everyone else was able to deal with it. Nora was able to deal with it. It It's just, it's just so fucked up. And I, the actor did a great job of being hateable. Yeah. So, good, good job there. But yeah, like, I, I was very happy when Matt was no longer in our movie life. That's true. And he really never, she wanted to resurrect him, but that was never really going to happen. So that, that was nice that that didn't happen. I, I, if I had to have a backup, though, I would go ahead and just go with Nora because I, I have it under good authority that her tapas were shit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, these tapas taste like motherfucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to stay for tapas i made eight <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god she needs her own movie yeah yeah oh yeah the further explorations of nora the cenobite yes please 
She's just she's just throwing horrible tapas at you all the time. <laughs> tapas bite. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. All right. Well, that's it from us. I think we can stop saying how they could reach out to us because we don't need to be advertising for them to find us on social media. We need to be advertising on social media for them to find us here. That's true. And the linkies are all in the in the appropriate spots. Yeah, yeah. If you found us and you're hearing our voice and you want to reach out to us somewhere, you can figure it out. It's going to be okay. And we can stop spending time on it starting next episode. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, John, do you have anything to say to the nice people before they go about their lives? Yes. Uh, we have such, you're all going to die.